This is Daf Yud Zayin in Masechet Megillah. We are beginning on Daf Tet Zayin, Amud Bet, two lines from the bottom of the Amud. Amar Rabba, Amar Rav Yitzchak, Bar Shmuel Bar Marta. Rabba said that Rav Yitzchak Bar Shmuel Bar Marta said, Gadol Talmud Torah Yoter Mekibud Avem. We find that study of Torah is even greater than respecting of parents. Shekol Otan Shanim Shayi Yaakov Avinu Bevet Ever Lo Nainash Aleheb. Because all of the years that Yaakov Avinu was studying in the house of Ever, which was the house of, stu- of the Beit Midrash of the time, he wasn't punished. Because the Master said, Because we said that what's the reason why we learn the number of years of Yishmael, his age, in order to calculate the age of Yaakov, because we're not particularly interested in the uh, age and the uh, cycles of life of, of Yishmael. Because we learned that, that Yishmael was 137 years old when he died. And how much older was Yishmael from Yitzchak? 14 years difference. Because we learned, because the Pasuk says, Because we know that, that Avram Avinu was 86 years old when Yishmael was born. And Avram was 14 years older. He was 100 when Yitzchak was born. Yitzchak was 60 years old when he had children. So, so how old was Ishmael when Yaakov was born? Meaning his uncle Ishmael, how old was he? Uh, he must have been 74 because he's 14 years older than Yitzchak. And Yitzchak was 60 when his kids were born. So And how much is left then of his years at that point? Uh, he had only uh, 63 years to go because he lived until 137. So there were 63 years to go left in his life. Vitanya, we learned in the Baita Yaakov, Avinu Bishasha Nidbarech Maviv ben Shishim Vishalosh Shana. We learned that when Yaakov Avinu was blessed by Yitzchak, he was 63 years old. Ubo Beperek mit Ishmael, and that was exactly at the time that Ishmael died. And that's because we know that there were 63 years from Yaakov's birth to the death of Ishmael. Dichtivayar Esav Kiverach Yitzchak and Yaakov, that's speaking about how Esav went to uh, marry one of the daughters of uh, Yishmael in order to satisfy his father's wish- wishes when he saw that, yeah, that Yitzchak was very pleased with Yaakov marrying somebody from their own family. It says that then Esav went and he married Machalat, the uh, daughter of Yishmael, the sister of Nevayot. Why does it have to tell me that, he's this, that she was the sister of Nevayot if I already know that she is the daughter of Yishmael? We learn from that that basically when she when they got engaged or they were betrothed, Ishmael was still alive. So it attributes the marriage to Ishmael. But then by the time they actually consummated the marriage, he had died and Nivayot, the brother, gave her away in marriage, so to speak. So therefore, uh, the point is though that, uh, that at that point, when Yaakov was 63 years old, that's around the time that uh, Yishmael wa- died, basically, right? Shitin utlat v'arbesar, right? So, so what do we see from there? Shitin utlat, so that's 63 years um, after, the, uh, after the birth of, of Yaakov and Esav. So that was when that happened, v'arbesar ad Yosef. And it would be another 14 years until Yosef was going to be born. 
right? Meaning that when Yaakov leaves his home, he's 63 years old, which was the same time that Yishmael died, right? And then he, when he has Yosef, it's 14 years later because he comes to live with Lavan and 14 years later, um, Yosef is born so that he should be 77. And it says that Yosef was 30 years old when he stood before Paro, which means that how old would Yaakov be? Right? He should therefore be 107 uh, years old at the time that Yosef stands before Paro. Then you have the seven years of plenty, the two years of, of famine. Before they're reunited, that should be 116 that Yaakov should be when he reunites with Yosef. But in reality, he's 130 when he meets Paro, but it really should be 117, like we said, I'm sorry, 116. Really, according to our calculation, it should be 116. Obviously, he must have had another 14 years tucked in there somewhere. And it was the 14 years that he spent in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, the 10 years we learned in Abraita, Yaakov Bebet Ever Mutman, Shana. Yaakov was hidden away in the yeshiva of Ever for 14 years. Ever made. And after Yaakov Avinu went, to live with Lavan, two years into his time with Lavan was when Ever died. So when he left, he went to Aram Naraim, meaning he went to live with Lavan. So that he was 77 when he met Rachel, when he first came to uh, Lavan's house. He was 77. So, uh, because they, they were 14 years, he wasn't 63, but 77, because there were 14 years that he spent learning. The, uh, how do we know he wasn't punished for those 14 years? Right? So, that uh, we learned that Yosef separated from his father 22 years. They were separated for 22 years as a sort of a punishment, against Yaakov, that he separated from his father for 22 years. But the question is, it wasn't 22 years, it was 36 years, because when he left home, he was 63. So uh, by the time he came back, uh, it was a lot more than, uh, than 22. Because as we said, um, he, he really... Uh, if if according to the initial calculation he was sixty three, then he should have been only seventy seven when he came back from uh, when he first had Yosef, and then uh, when he, by the time he came back uh, eight years later, basically to see his father, that should be twenty two years. But we add in another fourteen years. So, but it wasn't considered an absence of thirty six years because the fourteen years that he was learning didn't count. So, so the bet Lavan esrin shenin of it. But the, at the end of the day, he was only in the house of Lavan for 20 years, not 22. So why are we counting at 22? On his way back from, um, from Lavan's house to come reunite with his father, he delayed two years. Because first he came to Sukkot after he met Esav. And he was there 18 months. Because he says that he went to Sukkot. And he built a house for himself, and he made a uh, he made huts for his cattle. And in Bet El, he was there for six months, and he brought korbanot. So the bottom line is that we see from this that even though Yaakov didn't see his father, if if it was just an issue of Yaakov not seeing his father for twenty two years, that would that he would have been held responsible for missing the mitzvah of But the fourteen years that he spent, that we've proven now from this whole half an amud, we're able to calculate and prove that there are fourteen years missing from the lifespan of Yaakov. We're saying 
saying that those are the years he was learning, those years are not counted against him in the calculation of years that he did not honor his father because Talmud Torah is more important than Kibur Aveim. The person who reads the Megillah out of order, he doesn't fulfill the Mitzvah. If he reads it by heart without a text in front of him, or he reads it in a translation, in any language, we'll see what that means later. He doesn't fulfill the Mitzvah. But you can read it to those who speak a foreign language in that foreign language. But a person who speaks a foreign language and hears it in Hebrew fulfills the Mitzvah. is that he read it with pauses in the middle. Or he's falling asleep. He counts. If the person was writing a Megillah or studying the Megillah or correcting a Megillah, if he had intention when he was doing that action, then he fulfills the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. It happens to be at the right time of the Megillah, the mitzvah Megillah, that he's doing that action, uh, he could fulfill a mitzvah. But if he doesn't have the intent, then he's not going to fulfill the mitzvah. We'll see exactly what this is talking about in the Gemara. These are different kinds of inks. If it was written in one of these different kinds of inks that the Gemara will explain later, okay, or was written on paper, or on untreated type of a parchment, not a proper parchment, he doesn't fulfill the mitzvah unless he reads it from a Megillah that is written on properly treated parchment with proper ink um, in Hebrew. Now the Gemara says, Where do we learn this from? Where do we learn that the Megillah has to be read in order because it says like it's writing and like it's time. Just like you can't reverse the time and make the 15th of Adar before the 14th, you can't reverse the order of the reading of the Megillah. So it says, Midi It doesn't say anything about reading there. It says, all that it says is, uh, uh, it says there that, uh, what it's talking about there is the doing of Purim. Because it says that you should make these two days of Purim according to how they're written and according to their times. But it doesn't say, Anything about the reading? That's rather it's from here. It says these days should be remembered and done. We compare the remembrance, which is the reading of the Megillah, to the doing. Just like you can't celebrate the 15th of Adar before the 14th, so too you cannot read the Megillah out of order. And the Gemara says, Tana, we learned in a right the same is true with Halil has to be read in the right order, the Shema has to be read in the right order, but Tfilah, and also the prayer, the Amidah has to be read in the right order. Halil, Minal, and where we get the idea that you have to read Halil in the right order. Rabbah says, from the rising of the sun until its setting, we praise Hashem. Rising and setting of the sun are in order. The rising has to be before the setting. No, it's like it says in the Pasuk in, in one of the Pasukim that we read. In the uh, in the Halil says, this is the day Hashem has made. Just like the day cannot go backwards, so too the Halil cannot go backwards. He says, he says, may Hashem be praised or blessed forever and ever. Just like his being is, uh, uh, his praise should be just like his being, and just like Hashem is. Uh, it doesn't is not backwards. It's not out of order. So too the uh, the, uh, the 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 um, praise of Hashem should not be out of order. So it says Rashi says Hashem Hashem Hashem. Just like it's the name of Hashem is straightforward, right? It's uh, so too the praise of Hashem should be straightforward and in order. 
They say from the end of the Pasuk, Rav Nachman, Bar Yitzchak, or some say it was Ravach Bar Yaakov, say it no, like the end of the Pasuk says, from now until forever, now and forever, go in order. Not out of order, so the Halel has to go in order. How do we know that Kriyatanya? Uh, how do we know Kriyatanya has to be read in its proper order? Kriyatanya, we learned in Abayit, the Kriyatanya, Kichtava de Rabbi. Rabbi says the Kriyatanya has to be read in Hebrew as it is written. The rabbis say in any language it can be uh, not just in Hebrew. Uh, where does Rabbi get the idea that you have to say the Kriyatanya in Hebrew? Amar Kabukas Pasuk says, Vayu Baviatanyu. It says, These words should be, meaning, They should be as they are in Hebrew. What's the reason of the rabbis who say you can say it in any language? Because it says, Listen, hear, O Israel. Whatever language you understand is good enough for the Shema. What about Rabbi? He knows that it says Shema, so how does he explain that? Why, can you have, why do you have to do it in Hebrew? To teach you another halacha, that you must hear with your ears what you're saying with your mouth. That's why it says Shema Yisrael v'Rabbanan. The rabbis agree with the view that says that if you didn't hear yourself saying the Shema, you said it so quietly that even you couldn't hear yourself. You still fulfill the mitzvah, so they're not going to use the word Shema for that. They're going to use the word Shema to teach you that you can do it in any language. Don't the rabbis know that the pasuk says value, which implies that they have to be exactly just right? The words have to be in Hebrew. No, that comes to tell you that you can't read the Kriyat Shema out of order. Where does Rabbi who uses the word Vehayu to tell you that it has to always be in Hebrew, how does he know that it can't be out of order? Because instead of saying it says the Hadivarim emphasizes these words exactly as they are. And the Chachamim say we don't learn anything from the word Hadivarim. That's not something that we consider to be a Dwasha. So therefore they each have their own, they agree on everything except the, they basically, they, they disagree about whether the Shema has to be in Hebrew or not. They disagree about whether somebody who doesn't hear themselves saying the Shema aloud fulfills the mitzvah. They agree that it cannot be done out of order. Everybody agrees on that. Can we infer from Rabbi that every other mitzvah that involves reading in the Torah must be that you can do it in any language? Right? Because because if every other thing could be done in, only in Hebrew, so why would you have to mention here in the case of Kriyat Shema that it has to be in Hebrew? It would be obvious from every other case. No, the answer is The point is that since here it says Shema Yisrael, and you might have thought, you might have a reason to think that you can do it in any language, so the Torah has to emphasize that it can only be done in Hebrew, but actually all mitzvot maybe can only be done in Hebrew. Maybe it's true the other way. That the rabbis say that every other mitzvah has to always be done in Hebrew, right? Because if you could do it in any language, why do you have to tell me that the Shema could be done in any language if it's true of every mitzvah. It's the Same thing. You might have thought, like Rabbi says, that Vahayu means it has to be in Hebrew. Therefore, the Torah tells you Shema. Listen, understand, as long as you understand the language, you understand what you're saying, then it's good. It doesn't have to be that, uh, that, it's, uh, that it's in Hebrew. So basically, in the end, we can't determine whether what Rebbe would say about all other mitzvot, what the Chachamim would say about all other mitzvot. Because it could be that the only reason they specify this one is because there's a reason you might think otherwise. Now, what kind of mitzvot are we talking about? So Rashi says, for example, Parashat Zachor, uh, the uh, Tosafot says, Chalitza, Egla Arufa, different cases where the Torah requires us to read because it, it couldn't be talking about the Torah reading itself because Torah reading is Dirab Banan except for Parashat Zachor, as the Tosafot points out. In any case, um, now we get to tefillah, tefillah minalat. How do we know that tefillah has to be done in order? 
Titanicus, we learned in the Brite Shimona Pikuli, he still Shimona Isra Bachot, if Neoban Gabriel Allah said it. Because it says that Shimona Pikuli organized the eighteen Bachot of the Amida in in the proper order. In front of Rabban Gamliel, Biavne, Yavne, Amar Yochan, Yochan said, Rabbi Lab Matinatana, and some people say that it was taught in a Brita, Meavisweims again, Invahim Kavanivim, Tignushmas, Rebachot, I'll say that. There are 120 scholars, among the many Nivim, the Anshakeness of Dagdola, they established the Shmonas Rebachot, I'll say there. Right? They're the ones who originally uh, fixed the uh, fixed the order of the Shmonas Tanu Rabbanan, Minayin, Shomrim Avot, how do you know that we say, Abachav, Avot, Magen Avraham, Shenem Aravul Hashem Bnei'ilim? Because it says, Render praise unto Hashem Bnei'ilim, O great ones, and that's referring to the Avot. Omenayin, Shomrim Gvurot, how do you know that we mentioned Gvurot, Atagibor Leolam Hashem, Shenem Aravul Hashem, Kavod Vaoz, it says, Render unto Hashem honor and power. Omenayin, Shomrim Kiddushot, how do you know that you mentioned the holiness of God, Shenem Aravul Hashem, Kavod Shemo, Shachvod Hashem Advat Kodesh, it says, Render unto Hashem the honor of His name and bow before Hashem in the holy abode. So therefore you have Kadosh, Vata Kadosh, right? Kadosh, Vishim Kadosh, rather. Umar, Bina, Achar Kedusha. Why did they put the blessing, asking for knowledge after the blessing of holiness? Because it says in the Pasuk, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and they will praise the God of Israel, the Samichle, and it says right after that, It says that those who are in error will know understanding, they'll gain understanding, so once you talk about the Kiddushah, holiness of God, you talk about understanding because it's through knowledge that we recognize God. How do you know that we pray for repentance after we pray for knowledge? Because it says his heart will understand and he will return and be healed. So then why isn't the Bacha right after Why is it Because it says you, the person who does Teshuvah will return to Hashem and he will be kind to him. And he will turn to our God because he is abundant in forgiven, forgiveness. So after Teshuvah, because right after we do Teshuvah, we want to have uh, forgiveness, right? And now the, um, uh, according to the side, it should say Batrei, uh, the word Batrei after it. Um, oh no, I'm sorry, I, I looked at the wrong one. It should say uh that shows you that uh, after tshuva comes forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. How do you know that you rely on that pasuk where tshuva is followed by forgiveness? Maybe you should follow the pasuk where tshuva is followed by healing and do a fa'inu right after harot uh, tshuva. No, it says you can't do that because because um, there's another pasuk that says it says Hashem forgives all of our sins and He heals all of our sicknesses. And He redeems all our lives from destruction. Which shows you that it should be, the order should be forgiveness, healing, and then, uh, and then Goel. Um, so it says, So that shows you that come after forgiveness. In other words, the, um, after you have forgiveness, then you have redemption, and then you have Refuah. Right, but doesn't it say he returns and then he gets healed? He, that's not talking about the kind of healing from sick uh, from sickness. It's referring to the healing of of forgiveness. So it goes teshuva and then repentance and then forgiveness and then geula and then. Healing. Why do we say Geulah in the seventh bracha? 
Because since the Jewish people are going to be redeemed in the seventh year, or right after the seventh year, therefore they put that as the seventh bracha. Didn't the master say, didn't the master say that in the sixth year there will be sounds, and in the seventh year there will be wars, and then after the seventh year, that's when the Mashiach is going to come. So it says, uh, it says, uh, even though the war part is unsettling, it's actually the first stage in the ultimate redemption. So therefore, seventh is the number that we want to associate with the Ula. Why did they put the request for healing in the eighth? Because since the Brit Milah is done, on the eighth day of the week, and someone who has a brit milah, baby who has a brit milah, requires healing, therefore they made the eighth bacha that represents brit milah into a blessing for healing. Why did they make the blessing for prosperity and parnasah and so on, blessing of the years, the ninth bacha? It's, this is, was done to repel, to go against those who raise the prices unnecessarily and torture the people. Because it says, break the, uh, you have to break the uh, arm of the wicked person. And the wicked person, the, the Zor Rasha, is the person that takes advantage of the poor and the weak. Um, and, uh, and where did he say that? He said it in the uh, ninth chapter of uh, Tehilim. Now in our Tehilim, it's actually the 10th chapter, but there's a whole discussion about that because the breakup of our Tehilim and the Tehilim of the Gemara is different. So really it's the 9th from their perspective. Why do we mention the ingathering of the exiles after we mention blessing the years? Because we, we have a Pasuk in Yechezkel that says, uh, You, mountains of Israel, give forth your branches and carry and be laden with your fruits. In other words, it's talking about that. And what is the connection there? Le'ami Yisrael, for my people Israel, because they're about to come. In other words, we ask for the, uh, uh, the kibbutz galuyot is in the, you know, after the, um, uh, right after there is prosperity in the land and plenty of food, then the uh, Jewish people come to take advantage of that. And as soon as the uh, ingathering of the exiles occurs, then the wicked are judged. Because says, I will turn my hand upon you. Um, and I'm going to purify you. Okay? And um, in that same prophecy of, y- of Yeshayahu, it says, and I will restore your judges as of old. Once you do judgment against the wicked, then the sinners disappear. And that includes also the willful, willful sinners. The breaking of the wicked and those who sinned by accident will be together. They get destroyed together. Once you get rid of the wicked people, the tzaddikim flourish the most. It says, I will cut down all the horns of the wicked. Then the horns of the righteous person will be lifted up. And those who convert sincerely are included as tzaddikim. Because it says, before somebody who is elderly, you should stand up. And you should give respect and reverence to the face of an elderly person. And it says right after that, 
It says right after that, and juxtaposed to that is when a ger will live with you, meaning that uh, that connected to the idea of tzaddikim getting a special providence from God. There also is a connection of gerim having that. Where are these tzaddikim going to be uplifted and raised up in Yerushalayim? Because it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, it's in ha- those who love it should have peace. And once Yerushalayim is built, David Melech is going to come. Because it says that the uh, that um, the Bnei Israel will come back and they will seek their God and they will seek David their king. So I mean, he's going to come after they've already come back to the land. And once you have the king back, you can also have tefillah. Because it says. Once you have tefillah, you have service. Because it says the their burnt offerings and their peace offerings have found favor, will find favor in my uh, on my altar. And once you have avodah, you have giving thanks. Or as it says in the side, it say As it says in the pasuk that describes a person bringing a a, a sacrifice of thanks. It says that the, the one who brings a uh, Thanksgiving offering honors me, Hashem says. Why did they mention the Birkat Kohanim after the thank you of Hoda'av Modim that ends Hatov Shimcha Udchana Elodot Tichtiv Aisav Aaron et Yadav Elaam Vayivarchim? Because it says Aaron lifted his hands up towards the people and blessed them. Vayivad Me'asot the Chatat Vaulav Ashlami when he came down from doing the Chatat, the burnt offering, and the Shlami. So what do you see from that? You see that after Avodah comes. Um, comes the thanks. I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Um, that was the why toda comes after avodah. Because once you have avodah, then you have toda. Because it says the person who brings the korban honors Hashem. That's talking about um, the uh, the korban leads to the thank, thanking God. Right, and then it says Umar Ulomar Why do you have Birkat Kwanim after uh, the thank you Bachav Modim? Because it says that, that, that was when Aaron blessed the people. Why can't it be before the Avoda? Why does it have to be after Ritzei? Because it says he came down from doing the korban already when he gave the bacham. It doesn't say to do it; it says from doing it. Why isn't it right after the bacham? Let's say then, right after that. Why do we wait till the end of modim, which is the thank you bacham? Because it says over toda, since it connects bringing korbanot to toda, we want to connect modim to the avoda. My chazid is Why should you go with that? Go the other way and say that birkat konim should be connected to avoda. The answer is that really avodah and thanks are the same thing. So they have to go together. And then you have Birkat Kohanim. Why do we have Sim Shalom after Birkat Kohanim? Because you shall place my name upon Bnei Israel and I will bless them. And what is that referring to? What blessing is that? And the ultimate blessing of Hashem is peace. What do we always ask? That Hashem should bless us, the Jewish people, with peace. Since we, we sort of saw a contradiction in this right because on one hand it said that the men of the great assembly, 120 elders, together with Nevi'im, made the order of the prayers. So what does it mean that Shimon Pikuli came along and fixed it? If it was already said, 
The answer is shachom. The chazal The answer is that they forgot the order, or at least they forgot the basis of the order, the logic behind the order, and he restored it. From now on, meaning after this, after the amidah was created, you cannot praise Hashem in a formal, fixed way. Rashi says in any other way. Who will who will recount the greatness of Hashem or the might of Hashem, and who will make heard all of His glory? For who is the proper person to speak of the might of God? Only somebody who can exhaust all of it, who can express all of it. And that's nobody, of course. Uh, the, uh, the, um, Rabbi Rabbi said, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, a person who speaks in the praise of Hashem, he'll die more than necessary, more than he should. He will be uprooted from the world. As we say in the Pasuk, it says, and the way he's interpreting it is, is it shall it be told. And Rashi says, Will his praise in total be said? Means, will all of Hashem's praise be spoken? Right? Even if I increase a lot of words, it's, it's not going to be complete. If a person wants to do that and says, oh, I'm going to say a lot of words to exhaust the praise of God, then he's going to be swallowed up. Okay, that's how they interpret the Pasuk. That he says, uh, uh, that he's saying that if, if a person says, like, if I could just say a lot of words, I'll be able to exhaust God's praise. That person's swallowed up because it's too much. Rabbi Yudad, a man of the village of Giboraya, said, that he was from the village of Giboraya. What does it mean when it says about Hashem to you? Silence is praise. The answer is that the cure for everything is really, uh, is uh, the best medicine is silence, is being quiet. And they say in Israel, a word is worth a sela. Silence is worth two. And the idea is that you learn much more from being quiet, but you also show the limits of human understanding. And that's really what the Gemara is about. The Gemara is about not, is about that we have fixed filot because we're not able to really capture the full praise of God. And therefore we rely on the filot and we don't try to imagine that we could possibly ever exhaust or fully ex- adequately express all the praises of God. And that's why it's important that we stick with the tefillot that the Chachamim established for us and not try to innovate and expand them in ways that are really because when a person tries to say everything there is to say, they're actually doing a disservice because they're implying that that's possible. They're implying that it could be that a human being will be able to tell all the praise of Hashem. And we know that that's not true. And, and, to, and so therefore we avoid trying because to try it makes it seem as if it's a legitimate enterprise that one would be able to do that.